From South Carolina Public Radio, this is the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on August 29th, 2023 from my mother's dining room table here in Silver Spring, Maryland. Not in the basement anymore. Just so you know, some of the information on this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. In this episode, we crisscross the state on the campaign trail with Senator Tim Scott and former Governor Nikki Haley, who pressed the flesh before thousands following the first Republican presidential primary debate last week. We look at more details from that debate as well, and we also have candidates who have announced to fill the seat of the late Richland County Senator John Scott. South Carolina Public Radio's Scott Morgan has a story on how South Carolinians feel about abortion, and we have more in this episode. The lead loves hearing from everyone. That's why we have a voice mailbox set up that you can call and share your thoughts, your hot takes, and your questions at 803-563-7169. We're interested in hearing your feedback about the podcast itself, what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear more of, or less of. Leave us your name, where you're calling from, and what's on your mind. And if you don't want to be in the pot, just let us know. 803-563-7169. We are living in a post-Republican primary debate world, and in that world, former Governor Nikki Haley is reveling in her breakout moments that you heard in the previous podcast. Haley held a town hall in Indian Land Monday afternoon that drew a crowd of some 1,000 people, including in overflow rooms. Senator Tim Scott himself barnstormed across the state Monday, but we begin with Haley's remarks in the town of Indian Land, which again is 10 minutes west of Fort Mill, right near the border with North Carolina. Haley didn't deviate much from her usual stump speech to this home state crowd, many of whom know her from her time as governor from 2010 through 2017. She spent time talking about her accomplishments during that time, including growing government accountability and cutting fiscal waste, and how she'll take that nationwide if elected president. We are $32 trillion in debt. We're having to borrow money just to make our interest payments. China owns some of that debt. Now, I would love to tell you Biden did that to us, but you heard me say it before. Our Republicans did that to us, too. And the 2024 appropriations budget came out. You're not ready. Republicans put $7.4 billion worth of earmarks and pet projects in that budget. Democrats put in $2.8 billion. Haley did not mention anyone else in the race by name, but that didn't stop her from chiding her own party for increasing spending at the federal level, like she did on the debate stage when she did drop the names of former Vice President Mike Pence and Senator Tim Scott as being responsible parties, even though Scott has voted against several major spending bills. We have a country to save, but in order to save her, we've got to acknowledge some real truths. Republicans have lost the last seven out of eight popular votes for president. That is nothing to be proud of. Shouldn't we want to get the majority of Americans? Because our solutions are the right ones. You don't have to compromise, but you do have to stop pushing people out and bringing people in. Haley was introduced by 5th District Congressman and prominent House Freedom Caucus member Ralph Norman, the only member of the congressional delegation to back her so far. She mentioned how Norman will lead the charge when it comes to clamping down on spending if she becomes president and making the southern border a priority. 
When I am president, we will stop the spending, we will stop the borrowing, we will eliminate the earmarks, and I will veto any spending bill that doesn't take us back to pre-COVID levels. That's a promise. <laughs> Ralph, do you know how much fun we're gonna have in DC? <laughs> Ralph's gonna be leading the charge for me, I know. So that's the spending side of it. When it comes to crime, let's have the backs of our law enforcement. Do you know how demoralizing it is for them when they go and arrest someone on a, on a punishment and then that person's just let out the next day? We need to hold our prosecutors responsible for allowing these weak laws to happen. Our prosecutors need to prosecute according to the law. And when it comes to our border, we have got to secure our border. And, and the way you do that is, first of all, we've got to go back to what we know works. One, you secure a border. Two, you make sure you're not allowing anyone to come in. We will defund sanctuary cities once and for all. We will get rid of the 87,000 IRS agents and put 25,000 Border Patrol in, on the border and let them do their job. She continued to talk about national security, boosting the military, and supporting law enforcement, while also talking about how biological men should play on men's sports teams only and not worrying about correct pronoun use for military members. Haley did not mention abortion, something she believes is difficult to legislate on the federal level, even though her opponents throw around support for a 15-week ban, which wouldn't get through Congress, according to her. Scott Morgan, who was on the ground at the event, spoke with several attendees who like her stance on abortion. Jean Mayer couldn't put her finger on it, but said that Haley didn't do that well in the debate, and added that Sarah Tim Scott is a great candidate. I like her uh, platform on abortion. I give her credit for it. That's a tough one. And she's made it pretty clear where she stands, and I give her credit for that. Dave Gatton voiced concerns about former President Donald Trump's electability, especially following his fourth criminal indictment, though Gatton said he will still vote for whoever the Republican nominee is. First of all, I think President Trump, I think his, he has issues that we don't know how they're going to affect him yet as far as running. And then it's between her and Ron DeSantis, in my opinion. And uh, I, think, uh, I think she has a good shot of, of winning it. And if she doesn't, I think she has a good shot of whoever wins it, uh, asking her to be on the ticket if she desires to be there. Haley's campaign announced that it had its single best day of fundraising of the campaign on August 24th. That was the day after the debate. Traffic to her website shot up tenfold, social media views have surged, and she became the second most Google candidate in the field. Additional polling found that Haley saw positive reactions from Republicans and independents, while a Washington Post, 538, and Ipsos poll after the debate found that possible Republican primary voters saw DeSantis and Ramaswamy as the winners of the debate, Haley saw big gains. From the pre-debate poll to the post-debate poll, Haley was the candidate with the largest jump in primary voters who answered that they would consider casting their vote for her after the debate. 29% said so before the debate, and 46% said so after it was over. Data. Now, when you look at just GOP primary voters, that margin increased from 51% pre-debate to 65% post-debate. Also, a survey conducted by the Democratic firm Navigator suggested Haley performed well outside the GOP. 
A post-debate survey of Wisconsin independents found that 45% named Haley as the winner of the debate, followed by DeSantis at 24% and all the other candidates in single digits. Her favorability rating shot from 61% to 85%. So again, all good news for Haley, especially when you think about the party diehards that vote in primaries versus the broader message a candidate needs to win a general election. Remember, we heard from CFC professor Gibbs Knotts talk about this, this Haley dilemma in our last pod, and it's something we'll be watching on the trail. While this is all good news for her and other candidates, they all remain in the shadow of the frontrunner, former President Donald Trump. Haley will be hosting a meet and greet at Holy City Brewing on Thursday evening, but her campaign warns it may be postponed if the weather does not cooperate due to Hurricane Idalia. Now let's jump on the campaign trail with Senator Tim Scott, who held campaign events in Charleston, Lexington, and Greenville on Monday, before speaking at Congressman Jeff Duncan's Faith and Freedom Barbecue, where he had the stage to himself to speak in his capacity as a senator. That's because Scott was playing second fiddle to the original headliner of the event, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. However, in light of the recent racially-fueled murders of three black people by a white supremacist in Jacksonville and the impending impact of Hurricane Idalia, DeSantis had to cancel his appearance before some 2,100 conservatives in Anderson. In Charleston, his first stop of the day, Scott, the only black Republican in the Senate, told AP national politics reporter and friend of the pod, Meg Kennard, his reaction to the horrific shooting. I think it's heinous. I think we should all be standing up and saying that any act of violence against someone purely because of the color of their skin is terrible. Yesterday in, in my church service, we talked about the absolute devastation of Mother Emanuel Church and how those families responded to it. But the core of that attack was a racist walking into a church and eliminating, killing nine African Americans simply for the color of their skin. We saw three African Americans die because of the color of their skin over the weekend. That's devastating. Uh, We obviously released a statement, but more importantly, we released our prayers. We, We have to combat violence in this country, and specifically racism, uh, when it leads to death without any question. Scott spoke for less than 30 minutes in Charleston, telling the crowd that he had to keep it short because he was jetting around the state. We had to take a flight to go for three more stops, so as opposed to giving you my long 25-minute version of why I'm running for president, I'm going to give you the three-minute version of why I'm running for president. And why is he running for president? Well, let's listen to part of that shorter answer. So I'm running for president because I know America can do for anyone what she's done for me. It's why we're focusing on restoring hope, creating opportunities, and protecting the America we all love. And protecting America for me starts with backing the blue. We must take care of our law enforcement officers. You know, the radical left, they literally have been trying to defund the police. As president of the United States, it is time for us to refund and respect the police. Our streets around big blue cities are being ravished with crime, hopelessness, and devastation. It is time for us to restore this old-fashioned concept law 
and order. While Scott, like DeSantis, survived the first debate last Wednesday in Milwaukee, they didn't exactly have major memorable moments like Haley, biotech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, former Vice President Mike Pence, or former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. But that's fine by Scott's campaign, who said that's not how the two-term senator operates. How that goes over with donors and polls, well, that's a different story. But Scott spoke for a full four minutes less than Pence on the debate stage, according to the New York Times time tracker. Also, out of all eight candidates on stage, Scott only launched three attacks, the lowest out of all of them, according to Semaphore. Ramaswamy and Haley attacked 16 and 13 times, respectively, with Ramaswamy being the most targeted by all candidates. But at Trinity Hall in Charleston, Scott told the crowd that if we're going to protect the country, then we need to close the southern border, which Scott toured earlier this month and credits to driving much of America's ailments, including the fentanyl crisis. 70,000 Americans, every single county in this country is a border county because of the devastation being brought to this nation from the precursors for fentanyl are produced in China, brought to a Mexican lab, manufactured there, and then the Mexican cartels bring it across our southern borders. Not on my watch as President of the United States. We will close the southern border. We will use, we will use the available technology to surveil our border and stop fentanyl, answer the call, and and stop human trafficking from devastating our nation. Scott's biggest supporter, his mother Frances, was also on hand like she has been at several events in the state and at his campaign launch just over three months ago. Now to the upstate in beautiful Anderson, South Carolina. That's the sound of New River Bluegrass's rendition of Flat and Scruggs' Foggy Mountain Breakdown. Thank you, Meg Kennard, for that sound and description. The band was performing for the crowd at Congressman Jeff Duncan's 12th annual Faith and Freedom Barbecue, described as the largest gathering of conservatives in the state. Florida First Lady Casey DeSantis spoke at the event in her husband's stead. Casey, who grew up in Ohio and graduated from the College of Charleston, has been regularly featured on the campaign trail with DeSantis and was once again a crowd pleaser in Anderson. But here's what Ron said briefly in a video message. I'm sorry I can't be with you, but I got to tell you, you're getting the better end of the deal by having my wife Casey there. So it's my honor and privilege to introduce to you Florida's first lady, Casey DeSantis. Okay, okay, so we got the Alicia Keys walkout song there for Casey, but here's part of her message that wasn't actually too dissimilar from what folks heard from Senator Scott down in Charleston earlier that day about the southern border. And a president of the United States who will mobilize our military and authorize lethal force against the cartel. If you are going to sex traffic children into the United States and you are going to allow them to fettle fentanyl, into the country killing tens of thousands of Americans. We can't let that happen. Casey DeSantis said that by electing her husband, there will be a new generational leader who will stand up for conservative interests, and he won't back down when things get tough. She also made jokes at President Joe Biden's son Hunter in his widely panned artwork by saying she'd sell her children's artwork to see how much it would raise. A collection of Hunter's pieces had previously sold for nearly $1 million to a Democratic donor in California. 
We need a new generation of leadership in this country, somebody who will actually get the job done, somebody who, when they say they're going to do it, actually does it and has the track record to back it up. And you know, how about electing a president of the United States who has children who come home to the White House with homework instead of cocaine? How about that? As for the cocaine, the U.S. Secret Service was never able to identify who it belonged to. Now, if this was yours, please call the lead at 803-563-7169, and we'll make sure it returns back to you safely. Again, Senator Scott was in the House, but he was speaking not as a 2024 Republican presidential candidate, but in his capacity as a U.S. Senator. Mayan Schechter was on the ground in Anderson, and, well, it's a little hard to listen to some of these clips and not hear notes of the campaign trail. But in America, we are not a nation in decline. Under President Biden, we are a nation in retreat. It is not the strength of President Xi that is the problem. It is the weakness of President Biden that is the problem that we face as a nation. We've got to stop the Chinese from spying on our kids, buying our farmlands, and stealing our intellectual property to compete against us. They're literally stealing our jobs by stealing our intellectual property. And as President of the United States, I will stand toe-to-toe -to -toe and say, not on my watch. Will you continue to do so? Our state's other U.S. Senator, Lindsey Graham, was in Kiev on August 23rd with Democratic Senators Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut and Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, who met with President Volodymyr Zelensky. Video from the meeting showed the three shaking hands and meeting with the president and other top officials in the war-torn country. In a statement about his fourth trip to the country, Graham said in part, quote, The weapons we have provided to the Ukrainians have been effectively used. The combat power of the Russian army has been reduced by 50%. All the while, we have not lost one American soldier in Ukraine. The Ukrainians understand you don't end wars by giving territory to the aggressor. If Putin wins, he will keep taking territory, and that increases the chances that there will be a war between Russia and NATO, which would directly involve Americans in war. We do not want that, quote. Again, that was Senator Lindsey Graham from Ukraine. But down to the statehouse level, three Richland County Democrats have announced that they will be jumping in the primary race to fill the District 19 seat occupied by the late Senator John Scott. They include State Representative Cambrell Garvin, former Columbia City Councilwoman Tamika Isaac Devine, and Havar Juarez, Senior Director of the Broad River Business Alliance. The primary for the seat will be on October 24th, and the special election will be held on January 2nd. That's a week before lawmakers return to Columbia. Separately, the primary for the District 42 Senate seat, held by former Senator Marlon Kimson, Brown liquor. will take place on September 5th. Early voting is already underway, and three candidates, State Representatives Wendell Gilliard, J.A. Moore, and Dion Tedder, are vying for the spot. A runoff will be held September 19th if no one clears over 50% of the vote. And the special election is on November 7th. Changing gears, we continue our look at abortion in the state following the 4-1 state Supreme Court decision last week to uphold the six-week abortion law in South Carolina. Scott Morgan has this report on where South Carolinians stand on the matter. You and I live in a world of sharply drawn lines, so it might be hard to accept that we're actually not as far apart, even on loaded topics like abortion and reproductive rights, as it might seem. Scott Huffman, political science professor at Winthrop University and founder of the Winthrop Poll. The truth of the matter is, 
on many concepts on something even as divisive as abortion, an average Republican and an average Democrat in South Carolina are fundamentally closer than you would ever think by listening to a Democratic or a Republican politician. Remember the very end of that sentence. We'll be coming back to it. We first need to talk about us being fundamentally closer than you would ever think. The latest Winthrop poll from this past May shows that the vast majority of South Carolinians of all political and philosophical stripes believe there are circumstances for which abortion is acceptable, instances of rape, incest, and threat to a mother's life being the most common common ground. Huffman says it's part of the yes-but dynamic. The easiest yes-but is, yes, I'm against abortion, but that scenario is so bad I'll allow it. Not to imply that there's always common ground, of course. The percentages of Republicans and Democrats who either support or oppose a ban on nearly all abortions past six weeks are almost exactly inverse. And they do break down along the party lines you would expect them to. But even those numbers are not overwhelming for either side. More to the point, political party doesn't play into this conversation quite like you might think either. Many of the most conservative people are also religious African-Americans. But aren't African-Americans the backbone of the Democratic Party in South Carolina? And aren't Democrats seen as pro-choice? Yes. But historically, you've seen two things among African-Americans. I'm not talking about my poll. I'm talking about historically a lot of polls. One, an opposition to abortion overall. But second, a tolerance of people having children out of wedlock. Huffman says that latter aspect, the acceptance of children born outside of marriage, doesn't correlate to white conservatives. But it does drive black voters to the polls. So you still see over 90% of African Americans voting Democratic, including the ones who wish abortion never happened. But it's because things are a little more complex than one issue voting. And they realize that if I am going to have a society where single mothers who didn't get an abortion can have support, I'm actually better off with this party rather than that party. So you can't remove politics from abortion. It is the issue that drives people to polls even when they otherwise don't vote. At the same time, the abortion issue has immense appeal to people who always vote especially to conservatives who turn out for the only races that tend to have any real consequence in South Carolina, primaries. Because of gerrymandering, there are seats that are always going to be Democratic, that are always going to be Republican. And in South Carolina, the majority of them are always going to be Republican. So in order to win it, you need to win over the people who are going to vote in the primary. Who's going to vote in the primary? The furthest right. And it turns out you're not reflective of the general state of South Carolina, but you're not even reflective of your general party. You're reflective of the people who vote in primaries. In South Carolina's 2022 primaries, 17 percent, one in six eligible voters went to the polls. Thanks, Scott. You can find that story and more original reporting at SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And real quick, be careful out there, folks, as we await whatever may be coming our way from Hurricane Idalia which is set to work its way into the state early Thursday morning, late Wednesday night, after hitting the west coast of Florida sometime Wednesday. Much of the state can expect 1 to upwards of 10 inches of rainfall during the severe weather event, 
as well as some strong winds. So stay tuned to SCETV and South Carolina Public Radio channels and SCETV.org for the latest on Hurricane Idalia news and coverage. Remember, turn around, don't drown. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news. We're glad you're here. AT, I'm not there where you are in South Carolina. I'm in Maryland, like I told the folks. Uh, sadly, you aren't here. I'm at my We're house remote. recording in my home house. studio, but uh, you are in Maryland. But still, still, we bra- We have a little break from the news. Just a little break, little okay? A little break. Nothing Just can stop break. us. Nothing. No. What's what no we're here miles, for? No amount of uh, miles or land tracks can stop us from taking just a little break of the news. <laughs> Come on. Anyway, Gavin, we have a call from a longtime friend. Are you ready to hear it or not? Yeah. Okay. I love hearing from you. our friends. Hey, good for you hey. for being so strong in this time, okay? I'm <laughs> so far away. I need to hear voices of the familiar. <laughs> okay. Here we go. You ready? Hey, Gavin and AT. This is Ben from Greenville. And I'm actually calling from Tennessee. Uh, we're up here enjoying some of the mountains uh, with some family. We have like 13 kids under the age of 14 running around. So lots of fun. Uh, here's a suggestion for the SC lead. Uh, you know, it'd be great if we could regularly cycle through local or more local type news stories. And the idea I was kind of thinking was, if there was, uh, let's say, a five-week rotation, you divided South Carolina up into five uh, regions. Each week, you do one of the regions, cover the biggest highlights uh, political and business-wise from the last uh, time period. Maybe do some kind of an interview with a, a newsmaker there or a reporter in that area to kind of give an overview of what's going on. Um, that would be fantastic. Anyway, I appreciate what you guys do uh, and uh, looking forward to the improvements you're going to make to by far the best podcast in South Carolina. Thank you so much. Ben, always great to hear from you. And my gosh, I mean, what wonderful things he always says when he calls. People are going to be like, uh, we call him to tell him to call us and just lay yes, it down. Exactly like that. right. Yeah. It's like when when all else, all hope is lost, we have Ben Davis in the hopper. So thank you, Ben. <laughs> thank you for the suggestions. I yeah, mean, we're going to look into uh, a lot of different things. We, we always try to cover all of the states. So maybe mm-hmm. we won't break it down like that. But like, hey, it's a good idea. And we have a bunch of South Carolina public radio reporters all over the state that we love featuring. So yeah. Uh, hopefully, if, if if you're in an area that's making news and you don't think we're covering it, let us know. You know, we're mm-hmm. always open to that sort of stuff. And uh, I love that. I love that. Uh, I'm at my house. Gavin's in Maryland and Ben Davis is in Tennessee. So no one yeah. no one or, is where they're supposed to be. That's supposed to, but my gosh, I'm just glad that I don't have 13 kids under the age of 14 <laughs> in this house with me. Oh my gosh. I was hanging out with my nephews, like three boys under the age of seven. That's, that's enough. enough for an yeah, afternoon enough. right there. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's never been a greater form of birth control for me than when... Uh, I am at my in-laws house in New Jersey and there mm-hmm. are 10 children Ugh. under the age of 12. 
Um, that is just it, it, it is that that is what I don't like. You know, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to go into a Charles Entertainment Cheese establishment again, you know, just because of uh, the, the PTSD I have from those instances. I, I really want to talk about breweries right here, but I know we can't because <laughs> it's, it's it's yeah, it's a, it's a murky area there. But yeah, I mean, just because like I was hanging out with my mom, we went to a, a couple of different breweries, some great places, but yeah. Uh, it's like it's a daycare um but yeah it's funny because like all the kids are going back to school and it was sunday and we're just like bouncing around in the country and it's like why are they here who are they with you know like where are your parents why are these kids drinking beer by themselves (laughs) anyway it's like when you're driving down the street in the middle of the day and you're like why is everyone here they should be Mm -hmm. at work when you aren't at work you know (laughs) (laughs) i'm allowed to be no but it's been fun just hanging out up here um it's always nice to be up here in the summertime too it's much cooler it's like really tolerable being outside Mm -hmm. um like even the evening times it's really nice so i've been enjoying it was just up here to see my brother off he's moving out west so Mm. we all had to bid him adieu but i'm like you know welcome to the real world colin you know not all of us got to live in the the D.C. Metro Virginia area our entire lives. Some of us had to get on up and move on up to make ourselves who we are today. Exactly. And, uh, to get our father's podcast. You know, you don't just get <laughs> this podcast by just hanging out at home. Yeah, Colin, I just want to say, like, sometimes you got to pick yourself up by the bootstraps and move a few states away, okay? So sorry, not sorry. I, I think right? they're looking forward to it, though. I mean, everything's working out. Like, it sounds like it's going to be a blast. I can't wait. I can't wait to hear the stories. I hope he gosh. moves to another state and starts a podcast called the LEAD there. And uh, oh, it's my a God. real well, family yeah. issue. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be west of the Mississippi and in central time zone. So that, that kind of checks out <laughs> disgusting already central time zone Ugh, uh, disgusting. i know i know i can't live in any other time zone besides east coast I just no 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 can't. no no yeah uh, am i an east coast elitist i'm an east yeah. coast time oh, matter, zone elitist 100 percent. and i will I, I will take that to the grave call me whatever you want <laughs> I, I have to be on this time zone anyway gavin i hope you have a good time i hope you get back safe and i just want it on record here at the end of this podcast that uh your boy i'm making a golf pod real quick i broke 80 for the second time in my golf career this weekend that's it anyway gavin say goodbye uh, uh be safe tell your mom hello will do thanks folks and thank you ben for calling we love hearing from you guys give us a shout 803-563-7169 you can also leave us a review on apple Podcasts. we love that too and stay up to date with the latest news on setv.org and southcarolinapublicradio.org, especially as we're facing this uh, severe weather threat to our state. And of course, always support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. That's the sound of New River Boot. <laughs> Sorry, you did a a tut underwear. Oh my god, I walked right into a tut! Yeah. Oh my god, that's homage. We are allowed to do one a year. (laughs)